Our readings this morning are from the book of Genesis, beginning at chapter 1. You can find them on page 1 of your New Pew Bibles. And we are continuing in Genesis through to page 12 um, with a selection of readings. Um, So Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 and 26 to 31. In the beginning... When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, And fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the call of Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Genesis chapter 15, God's covenant with Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. 
and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself... You shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Let us pray together. So, Lord, as King David prayed, would you show us your ways and you would would you teach us your paths? For you are God our Saviour, and our hope is in you all day long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, why don't we open our Bibles? Why don't we, I'll tell you what to do. Turn to page two 
The reason I'm saying turn to page two is because the clever ones would have noticed as someone told me at eight o'clock. There isn't a page one. So turn to page two because then you'll find page one if you turn over the, the, the previous page. Let me... Let me tell you a story. This is a true story. It was someone in, in our church, and they, they were relaying this story to me over the summer. And the story goes like this. They were chatting to someone who, who, who wasn't a Christian, and they knew that this person was. And so th- this man said to the member of our church, listen, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. I've read it seven or eight times from cover to cover. Just think about that. And I've only got one question. The question is, is this, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? And that question is, is exactly why we're looking at this, this teaching series and we're exploring this whole idea of trying to understand what the, the Bible means by understanding the big story of the Bible. If you were here last week, we started to look at that. And we said that trying to understand the big story of the Bible is like trying to understand it through this particular timeline of shapes, which you won't necessarily all be able to see. But we started to look at that last week. Because if we can understand the big story of the Bible, we can understand how all the other pieces fit together. And to understand the the big story of the Bible, if you like, we've got to try and understand it as an unfolding narrative. If you like, this overarching story of God's activity with people that centers ultimately upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, as we start to unpack that this morning, I want to try and go right to the beginning right to the beginning of the big story of the Bible. And if we're going to understand this big story of the Bible, we've got to kind of look at two themes this morning. So we need to engage our brains perhaps a bit more than usual because we haven't just got one theme to look at. We've got two themes to look at. The first theme is the theme of creation. And the second theme is the theme of covenant. Because both of them are introduced in this book that we call Genesis. Genesis is a book, if you like, if you were looking at it, it's a book of 50 chapters. If we were to say, well, how do we break down those 50 chapters? Well, really, you can break them into two. You break down the first 11 chapters, and that, if you like, is the the big story, if you like, where it starts. It's the story of creation. It's the story of, of, of Adam and Eve. It's the story of the fall of humanity. It's the story where, where we get and hear about Noah and the ark. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And that's, if you like, what comes in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And then the rest of Genesis, so chapter 12 to 50, is all about the story, if you like, of the worldwide family of faith. And they, they kind of pivot around this, this one man called Abraham. And so that's what we're going to try and explore in a bit more detail this morning. So we begin, if you like, on page one and the story of creation. You know, there was once a story told of, from the 18th century, of an atheist who went to see his local vicar. 
And he went to see the local vicar and he went into the vicar's study and he suddenly became transfixed by the vicar's desk because on it was a model, as they thought it was then, of the world and the solar system. And the atheist was completely taken aback by this model. And he said, that's, that's incredible, that's wonderful. Who made it? And the vicar just replied, oh, no one. It just happened. And that explanation, oh, no one, it just happened. And these words, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning, God created. Are the only two, if you like, two ends of a spectrum. They're the only two things when it, when it comes to, to creation. That either the world started from nothing, or it started by a creator. There's no other opportunity out there. And what we really need to, to get to grips with this morning and not get sucked into is this kind of phony war that, that goes on. Where, where what happens is a, is a clever scientist comes onto the TV screens or he reads or, or, or we read something in a newspaper or we see it somewhere. And he's normally got a professor before his name. And he's normally got a lot of letters after his, after his name. And he kind of says how science and Christianity are incompatible. And we've all heard it and we've all seen it. And listen, it's just a phony war. It's an agenda that's driven by the secularists and the atheists. Completely and utterly. And if you, if you don't grasp that, then often when we start to talk about creation, we suddenly start to feel, oh, I feel a bit uncomfortable. I feel a bit on, on, on shaky ground. And the reality is, if you take it back to first principles, either it started from nothing or it started from, from someone. There aren't any other explanations. And, and I, just, I just think about if you like, as you, as you know, my daughter Lucy in a couple of weeks is going off to Durham to do mathematics. And, and I think about the mathematics of, of creation. And I don't know whether you've ever, ever thought about it in, 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 in this particular way before. But how the, the earth, and when we think about it, and how it's slanted and how it's tilted at an angle of 23 degrees. That's incredibly precise, isn't it? And if it wasn't, major catastrophe would happen. And sort of like the world would virtually be full of ice. Or if you think about the crust of the earth, if the crust of the earth was three meters thicker, there'd be no oxygen and no animals. Or if we, if we think about this, had the oceans just been a meter deeper, that there would be no vegetable life. Or even if we think about it for a minute, just think about the, the weight of the earth. What scientists can tell us, can't they? They can tell us that the earth is six sextillion tons. I have to write that down. That's a six with a lot of noughts after it. Take it from me. Yeah, it's perfectly balanced. Even though it moves at more than a thousand miles per hour. And you know, this whole area... Where, where you get science and Christianity and there's some sort of war going on. The reality is it's a phony war because they ask different questions. The scientist asks the question of how. 
How old is this universe? How it began? And the Bible asks the questions of why. Why it began. Why is there life? What does it, what does it all mean? Or if we take the example of this wonderful cake here this morning that you're probably thinking, how long can I stand before I start eating this cake? And just look at this, this wonderful cake for a moment. And if we just think about what this various scientists would tell us about this cake. Well, of course, the nutritionists would tell us what? Well, they'd look at that cake and they'd say, it's not very good for you. Wouldn't they? They'd talk about the balance of foods, of how much flour is in it, or how many eggs, or, or how much sugar is in it. And then the chemist, well, the chemist would want to get right down to the basic formulas underlying the cake. And then the physicist, what would the physicist want to do? He'd want to start talking, or she'd want to start talking about protons and electrons. And then the mathematician, well, the mathematician would start talking about all the equations that were needed to make the cake. But if I was to ask them this question, why was the cake made? For me to eat it. No, they wouldn't. They can't answer the question. You see, no amount of scientific knowledge can tell them why the cake was made. Only the person who made it can tell you why the cake was made. Just like when it comes to creation, science can't tell us why the world was made. No amount of scientific knowledge of discovery of our planets that, that it does and all the great things that science has produced can tell us why it was made. Unless the creator chooses to speak. And he chose to speak. And we call it Genesis. In the beginning, it was God who created the heavens and the earth. In other words, everything. So if we look on page 1 and verse 2, what we see is this. We see this universe, don't we? And if we look at, at page 1, we see this universe and it's this place of primeval chaos. It's formless. It's empty. It's dark. And Genesis is the story of how God turns this dark chaos into a beautiful world. So the question to ask is, why are you doing that, God? What are you making? And what follows is these six days of creation that are structured around, around two verbs. I don't know if you've ever, ever seen this before. But what God does in the first three days is he separates and then what he does in the next three days is he fills. So because the earth was formless in days one to three, it's all about God bringing shape and order to this messy chaos of darkness. And God speaks and he separates. He separates light from darkness, sea and sky, land and oceans. And then what we see is after that separation, he begins to fill. So where there was light and darkness in day one, now he brings the sun, moon and stars in day four. Where there was sea and sky in day two, now he brings the birds and the fish in day five. Where there was land and oceans in day three, now he brings the animals and human beings in day six. And in day six we read, as we heard Rosemary read for us in verse 26, we read, God creates us. It's the climax, if you like, it's the crown of his creation. And God said, 
Well, on the first five days, he said, it's good. And then he looked at us. He said, it's very good. Very good. And God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. To use a scientific phrase, what that means is this. God put in each one of us his DNA. In other words, we were meant to live in relationship with one another and most importantly, in relationship with him because he is relational. Verse 26, God didn't say, let me make. He said, let us make. It's plural. And of course, if only, if only things had stayed that way, everything would have been great. But as we'll know if you're coming along on a Tuesday night, we'll explore some of those other big ideas of creation, of the fall of humanity. And Noah and his ark and the Tower of Babel. And so we, we leave kind of like the beginning of creation and we pick up this other central theme that runs right the way throughout the Bible. If you like, it's the one unifying theme and we have to understand it to understand the big story of the Bible. It's the theme of covenant. You know, the Latin word for covenant is testament. It's where we get Old Testament and, and, and New Testament. But the link between the two halves of Genesis is this man, Abraham. We meet him if we, if we turn over to, to chapter 12. We meet him first of all there. Because we read that he's a descendant of Noah's son, Shem. On page 10 at the end of chapter 11 we read it. But it's through him the worldwide family of faith begins through the theme of covenant. And this idea of covenant has been briefly introduced before. It's been briefly introduced before with God, with Noah. And we know that because we can still see, if you like, the sign of that covenant still today. Because when we see a rainbow in the sky, it takes us back to that theme of covenant being introduced between God and Noah. And if you want to read more about that, you can read more about it in Genesis 8 and chapter 9. But there are five major covenants in the Bible, if you like. The first one, God with Noah. Then God and Abraham. Then God with Moses. And one with God with King David. But here's the thing. They're not five separate covenants. They're not five individual ones where one starts and then one is finished and so a new one starts. That isn't how it works. The covenant is one covenant that is expressed, if you like, differently or enhanced in the points of the history of the people as a new chapter begins. And that's, that's important to say. So we'll read, we'll look maybe next week when we look at the start to look at the story of Moses and the people of God in the Exodus. And when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and a new covenant is formed. It doesn't mean the one from Abraham was ripped up. It just means that it's a new history, a new chapter opening up in the life of the people of God. Just like when Israel decides that it wants a king. And eventually, there's a covenant formed with then, with King David. 
And what we know about the covenants is this. There were, there were covenants between nations. What used to happen was, was this. It usually happened because one nation wanted to destroy another nation. And so they decided to come together in peace and they would form a covenant. But the covenant was, but it's not a business agreement. It's this formal agreement between two parties that makes official, if you like, makes permanent a relationship of faithful, loyal love, obedience and trust. If you like, it's this rugged commitment to be with each other, whatever happens. That they'll stick together, whatever happens. And of course, when we think about the covenant in the Bible, we know it's an unequal covenant because it's God on one side and humanity on the other. Sometimes as you, as you read through, you'll see with the covenant what happens is sometimes the promises are unconditional. On other occasions, they're conditional with blessings and, and curses attached. What you also see when you see a covenant is this. You normally see some sort of animal sacrifice. There's blood involved because when we hear the words, the Lord made a covenant, as we heard this morning, really what they're saying is the Lord cut a covenant. You're cutting something to make it happen. And there were signs attached to covenants. The one with Noah was a rainbow. The one with Abraham was circumcision. And the covenant you see being repeated both formally or informally with these words. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's if you want to understand a covenant in the most simplest form. It's this. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. It's this rugged commitment to be with. And so we read, don't we, that God wants to form this covenant with Abraham. And he speaks to him, verse, in chapter 12 that we read for us. And he says to Abraham, who's now a man of about 75, that he wants him to leave the country, if you like, where he's been all his life, where all his forefathers have been. We know it as modern-day Iraq. And he wants him to take a journey, and he wants him to go and settle in the land we now know as modern-day Israel. And God promises that if he moves from modern-day Iraq to modern-day Israel, that he'll make him into this great nation with abundant provision. The only problem is, Abraham's 75 and, and Sarah's wife's about the same age and they've got no children. So God wants him to kind of go whatever it is, however many hundreds of miles, maybe even into the thousands. And he's going to make him into a, a great nation. And he's an old man with no children. And so Abraham, we read, goes, he travels through what we then know as Mesopotamia and he arrives in Israel. And God promises that the land once more will be given to his offspring. But when Abraham arrives in Israel, he's settled for a bit. There's then a drought. And so he settles down in Egypt. And after a while, he comes back. He, he roams about a bit more. And that's where we pick up the story in, in Genesis chapter 15. A few more years, if you like, have passed and he's still childless. 
And it's now we see God making the covenant with Abraham. And he comes to him in a vision. And he reminds him of a future blessing and how this whole land that he is, how it will just be filled with his many, many descendants. And Abraham wonders how this can possibly be because he's an old man and he's, and he's childless. And so God takes him out. It must have been dusk or dark. And he invites him to look up to the sky. And it must have been a, a clear night. And he invites him to look up to the sky and to look at all the stars. And he even dares him to count them if he can. And he says... That's how many, however many stars you can see in the sky and there's, there's loads, there's too many to count. That's how many your descendants will be. And we read Abraham believes. And God promises him this land and Abraham asks and you can understand is saying, well, God, you promised me this before and you're now promising me it again, but how will I know? How will I know you're going to make good on your side if you like? And that's why God makes a covenant. If you like, he cuts a covenant. And this is what he does. Remember how I said a covenant involved animals and sacrifices and blood. And so we read there, they take some animals, they cut them in half... And they take some birds, and this is what they do. If you can imagine how you're sat this morning, if you like, they put one half of the animal on this side and the other half on this side, and they would have put a bird there and a bird there. And then what they would have done, this is what happens with nations, this is what happens, they would have taken a walk. It's called the covenant walk. And they would walk through the dead animals just like this. And what they were doing by walking through the dead animals was they were saying, if I ever break the covenant, if I ever break that, may I be like one of those dead animals. Because there were costs in breaking the covenant. But here's the thing as we look at the text. Who makes the walk? Who makes the walk? In verse 12 we read, God puts Abraham into a deep sleep. He kind of shows him the future that we'll, that we'll look at next week. And then we read mysteriously, this smoking fire pot and flaming torch. Now who do you think that is? If there are two sides to the covenant and it's not Abraham. You see what God is saying is God makes the walk. God is saying that this is my agreement. And if I break it, then I'll be like one of these dead animals. In other words, God would be God no more because he'd be dead. It's actually unbelievable what's going on. And God is asking Abraham to trust him. To trust him that he will make that covenant walk.
But the reality is, whether the covenant was with God or Noah, or God and Abraham, or God and Moses, or God and King David, the reality is, is that God never ended up breaking the covenant, yet the covenant always ended up being broken. This is why, the, as we'll see halfway through our, this series, why the nation of Israel ended up in exile, most in Assyria, some in Babylon. Because that was the cost born out of them breaking the covenant. That's why the biblical prophets, Jeremiah specifically, but Isaiah and Ezekiel, talked about a new covenant being made. A new covenant being made, not so much with one person, but with all of humanity that was both continuous and discontinuous from the previous one. And even though, once more, God never broke the covenant, he decides to cut the covenant. And he describes it as this unforgettable and unshakable covenant, which focuses not so much upon outward appearance like circumcision or a rainbow, but focuses upon a cutting right to the heart of who we are. That if we'll follow his yoke, his transformative, transformative teaching. So much will happen. And then we see once more the shocking and most powerful way that God will, if you like, cut this covenant because he'll take the walk himself. This time it won't be as a smoking fire pot or a flaming torch. This time it will be as a person, Jesus Christ. And this time no animals are killed, but the covenant is cut by Jesus suffering himself by taking a walk outside of Jerusalem and by his body being ripped in two as he hangs on a cross. That, when we say, and when we'll think of next week, when Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant, this is the blood of the cup of my new covenant, that's what it means. And it's this once-for-all act. And it means no matter what happens, you don't have to keep paying for it. Because sacrifices and offerings aren't needed. It's an act of his unconditional love. And it means once we enter into that relationship with him, once we enter into that covenant with him, He's so pleased. You know, what do we, what in the Old Testament, what's God often described as? He's described as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when we enter that covenant, He just simply wants to be known as our Father. You know, going back to that question, what does it all mean? You see, we only begin to understand the meaning by entering into the covenant ourselves because that's when the Bible becomes real. As we said last week, all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it's God breathing out who he is, what he's like, how he feels, what's important to him. And when we breathe in that breath of him, We start to feel what he feels. We start to understand him more. We start to get a grasp of what is actually going on. Because as Jesus said famously to Nicodemus, 
You're Israel's teacher and you don't understand all this. You'll never understand it unless you've been born again. We never understand it if we're not filled with the Spirit. And we never understand it if we don't live it out. Because by living out his breath in our lives, something happens in us. And we're changed to be more like him. Let us pray. Jesus, there's a song that goes, who can know the mind of the Creator? And yet we know that the God who created the universe and who flung the stars and the sun and the moon into the skies came to be one of us. And you came to be one of us so that we could know you. So help each one of us, Lord, I pray, to understand a bit more of this great big story of your love for us. And give us a hunger and a thirst that through it we may know you deeper, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.